Welcome to the Coin Podcast Network. Emotional, creative, and often comical. Welcome to another in-depth but out-of-the-ordinary look at what it's like to write. This is Writer's Block with Coin6 News anchor Jenny Hansen. All right. Well, we're excited to have Carolyn Wood on with us today on Writer's Block. Uh, she is an Oregon native and she has a new book that just came out in October. It is called Class Notes, A Young Teacher's Lessons from Classroom to Kennedy Compound. That's quite a title. And thanks for being here, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so before we get into this book, I, I just want to uh, give our listeners, um, you, you know, more on your background and, and how this all came to be. So it looks like, did you grow up in Beaverton when you were I younger? Uh, I live in the same house that I grew up in. So my parents wow. built it in the early 1940s. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I purchased it from my mother after my father died. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then were you at Beaverton High School? Where were you going to school? I went to Beaverton High School. Yeah. Then I went to University of Oregon. Mm -hmm. Then I came back and taught at Beaverton High School for seven years. Oh, my gosh. So what were you teaching? English. English. Okay. And so then did you always want to be a writer growing up, an author? Was that always in the back of your head? You know, uh, well, in sixth grade at Raleigh School, I got a camera with a flash attachment and thought I might want to be a war correspondent. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there, that's a, that's a lot of fantasy. Yeah, yeah. but no, uh, pretty much I wanted to be a teacher. Um, first, I wanted to be a sixth grade teacher, then high school, and that was sort of my life course. Yeah. This yeah. year, yeah. Well, it sounds like um, you had an interesting experience as a. Uh, a no, were you teaching at the time when you went to? Okay, so yeah. so set this up like how this all came to be that you ended up at the Kennedy Compound. Well, we you have to back up just a little bit. Yeah, when, okay. I was, when I was fourteen, between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, I was on the U.S. Olympic team and won a gold medal in Rome. On the Olympic team in Rome was a guy named Rayford Johnson who did the decathlon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so flash forward from 60 to 68, Rayford Johnson was Robert Kennedy's bodyguard. Okay. And the book talks about the circumstances that brought me to a campaign event mm-hmm. where Rayford Johnson was there. And I happened to say to my driver, I was in the same Olympics as him. Mm-hmm. And before long, Rafer came to the to my car, and then pretty soon I was at Robert Kennedy's car. And, oh my gosh! Yeah, and we had quite a conversation about sports and the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And then I got this bee in my bonnet. It was towards the end of the school year. It was in May. It was during the '68 presidential campaign, and I thought, you know, I don't have a summer job. I don't really need to take classes. I could volunteer to teach swim lessons. Seemed like a brilliant idea. Yeah. So I sent a letter. And within two weeks, I guess, a call came from LA asking if I could come down and take the kids to Disneyland. 
And and which kids are these? The, the Robert Kennedy's. The Robert Kennedy. Okay. He had Ten children. So when when yeah. you say you uh, could teach swimming lessons, do you mean to the Kennedy kids or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of cool. That'd be totally reasonable. Yeah. Right. I'd worked a couple of summers at Portland Golf Club, and yeah. you know, I taught lessons. I lifeguarded, and I figured, oh, they had a pool. I mean, it was just a nice little twenty-one-year-old's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was offered this chance to go to LA, I had it was finals week at Beaverton. I had grades to do. It was my first year teaching. I had. I mean, I was still doing grades with an adding machine that I had to crank mm-hmm. all my little 3.5s and 3.75s. And um, so I declined. And then he was killed within yeah. three days. And wow. it was about a month later that I got a call from um, Port from one of um, Mrs. Kennedy's friends asking if I could come for a full year. She wanted to fulfill the senator's last request, and he wanted his kids to work with me. Mm-hmm. So I got a leave of absence, and that's how I ended up back there. And off you went. So, I mean, it, you know, and this is before, obviously, long before the internet. This, I mean, so you oh, know, yeah. you're going out there, and there's a lot of unknowns. It's not like you're seeing stuff every day, you know, in your. No, face. you see things in Look Magazine and Life Magazine and Time, and the Oregonian and the Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was uh, it was a very different time. Yeah, and so when you first, I mean, that's a tragic time too for yes. for that family. So. When you got there, what was the the mood? I mean, what was the the vibe? Um, so I didn't go back until August, mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, actually, I have had absolutely no preparation. First of all, for the world of a compound with that is secured by Secret Service and police. Um, I had not experienced grief in my life mm-hmm. um, or wealth. So it was just like, <laughs> you know, you can, I mean, it sounds better to say I was from Beaverton because Beaverton was just such a little burg at that time. Yeah. It was really stepping into a different world. Although I had some experience. I, you know, been to Europe twice with um, international swim teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, You've been around the world. Yeah. I've been around. Yeah. I've read a lot of books. Yeah. So I think my my description in my own book is there was a lot of activity. And I realize now that that's one way that you stave off the horror of grief mm-hmm. is busyness and planning. The Democratic National Convention was coming up in Chicago. Teddy was being considered as a vice presidential candidate. That was all being discussed, but you know, it was it was like upstairs, downstairs. Only it was, um, you know, the whole kids area yeah. and the grown up area, and I was in the kids area. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that world was the world of twelve and eleven and ten and five and four year olds, and it was nonstop. <laughs> and and so, what were your you you just been teaching um, at at the high school in Beaverton before school, you yes and so 
what was that? How, Hannah, I'm forgetting, how many kids did he have? Was it four or five? And there was one on the way. I'm sorry, how many? Ten. Ten? Ten. And was I going to take care of all of them? I had no idea. Right. And I had so no idea. <laughs> I mean, what do you know about governesses? You know Mary Poppins. <laughs> and I had read uh, Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And so, what I mean, what was a day like? I mean, what, I mean, I'm sure they were all different. But well, what, you're going to have to read the book. I, I mean, know. I don't have a copy of the book yet. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you why I can. I mean, I'm going to switch just a track of what it was like. I arrived. Well, so my I arrived in Boston. I was picked up. I had no idea who would pick me up. Um, by a guy named Bob, Bob who had been serving as a little bit of a governess. It was an hour drive out to Hyannis. Uh At midnight, we're going through all these checkpoints, and I meet the butler and another guy, Timmy, the tennis teacher. And Bob takes me to Jackie Kennedy's house where I'm going to be staying for two weeks. It was just like, are you kidding me? And I'm in John Kennedy's bedroom Mm -hmm. for my first two weeks um, with no idea of what my jobs are or what time I'm supposed to show up or Mm -hmm. anything. But, you know, it was uh, I'm still on West Coast time. I send a letter home the first Hour I'm there with a weather report. You know, it's 78 degrees here now. <laughs> and that began the series of letters that I sent home mm-hmm. where I detailed what I was doing every day. And after two weeks, my parents sent me a little tape recorder so I could send these three inch reel to reel tapes mm-hmm. to them. They would play them for the neighbors and the teachers, my cl- uh, colleagues. I and mean, you were a star. And they would record yeah. something and send it back to me. Oh, my but, gosh. Yeah, so I had 25 tapes that my mother had saved that were in the attic that I found, you know, five years ago. And that's how this this book called That's came. how the book came. Yeah. And so many of my memories and stories that I had told people um, – were confirmed, but sometimes they were uh, revised. Yeah. Like yeah. I can remember my, my, the first day, two of the little boys, five-year-olds, shook up a bottle of Coca-Cola and sprayed it all over me. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I blamed, I blamed one kid, but it turned out it was a different one when I actually listened to the tape that I sent home yeah. that day. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, a typical day might be, once I got established a bit, get the kids up. They went to mass every morning, mm-hmm. the, the middle ones. The older ones were out of the country when I first arrived. Um, Joe was in Spain. Bobby was traveling in Africa. And Kathleen was with a friend on a reservation in the Southwest working with some Native American tribes. Mm-hmm. So I had... The, the sort of middle ones. Mm-hmm. And so I'd get them to, I'd wake them up, get them to mass, have breakfast, then get them to one of three or four lessons. They might be day for tennis or swimming or riding lessons. At noon, Ambassador Kennedy, who 
was incapacitated by a, a stroke, had a yacht. And if he wasn't going to go out on the yacht, then it was available for Mrs. Kennedy and her guests. So that, um, I mean, he rarely went out. So that yacht would go out for lunch mm -hmm. and kids would swim. They went to an island and they would swim and do stuff. Then they'd come back. And by Mrs. Kennedy, by the way, you mean Jackie Kennedy? Ethel. No, Ethel Kennedy. Oh, Ethel Kennedy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Jackie, the reason I was staying in Jackie's house, yeah. she was in Greece being wooed by Aristotle. Oh, nasty. Yeah. Wow. It was quite a year. Yeah. A year. Yeah. And I like that you're hanging out on a yacht, you know, when it's available. I think this is just, I just can't even imagine the looks on your parents' faces when you're sending back these tapes describing Absolutely. all of this. Absolutely. In fact, when I go home, I know my mom says something like, I know, I know we, we aren't having dinner like you have. Oh. <laughs> no, it tastes really good. <laughs> You're like, I was at the kids' table on the yacht, but how many encounters did you, because, you know, Jackie Kennedy was so iconic, I mean, is so iconic, and and how many times did you see her if she was in Greece? And Yeah, she came back, um, so after two weeks, then I was moved to a different house, what I called the haunted house. Oh. Um, and, you know, I met her, I, I, <laughs> I talk about the first meeting, I mean, when she walked in the room, we were at breakfast. I felt like I'd been shot out of a cannon. I just was just like everything in my body went. Yeah. Because there she was. Yeah. Uh, she was gracious, kind. And of course, her daughter was named Caroline, but she remembered my name after one introduction. Hmm. And I saw her a couple more times. There was a horse show and I watched her play football. I'll touch football. That's in the book. Um, and then uh, I did not really see her again. I went, I took the two girls, my two girls, Courtney and Carrie, mm -hmm. up to and stayed in her apartment mm -hmm. for a weekend um, for the National Horse Show that was at Madison Square Garden. Oh my but gosh. Again, she was in Greece. And then I think that spring she was married. And I know that my Mrs. Kennedy went and went on their yacht in the Caribbean or something. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah. this is just su such a, a crazy experience to, to have. The, the family is so, I mean, just mired in tragedy yes. uh, over the decades. Did you, and then and there had already obviously been many tragedies at that point. I mean, did you, was that always there? Did you sense that? Or was it that everyone was so busy that it wasn't this over, like this looming? You know, it, it was being handled in the way I, um, we did things. I mean, I, my father died shortly after I came home mm -hmm. and, you know, I felt like I was trying to replicate the way they handled death, mm -hmm. which is you just accept and carry on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was later that I understood more about grief. Kathleen had wanted to put together a book of memories about their father, and she suffered a concussion over Thanksgiving, which was it was like going to be a Christmas present for mummy. Um, so that didn't happen. But in the spring, it did. And, you know, time had passed, but those stories that the kids wrote were very poignant. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and Mrs. Kennedy was working on memorials. There was a memorial film that was uh, presented at the Democratic Convention. And she was also in the process of establishing with a lot of his aides a foundation, which is still very active today mm-hmm. in um, civil rights around the world. Right, right. And Terry Kennedy is the uh, administrator of that foundation. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like she, she was just constantly doing things and, yeah. and keeping the kids busy. Now, you mentioned the haunted house. What was that all about? Well, they had rented a series of, uh, not a series, they rented houses around the compound mm-hmm. where guests could stay because their their house was not big. I mean, for, for a family of 10, mm-hmm. I mean, there are houses out in Forest Hills that are bigger than what they lived in or Jackie's house, which was just a, you know, it's a two-story, four-bedroom house mm-hmm. um, on the Cape. So... This house that I was in was definitely, it was like the House of Seven Gables. And I was the only person in it. Yeah. I heard things in the night and, oh, it was creepy. Oh, wow. We'd be like being put up in one of the Portland Heights houses that's been emptied. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like that. All the carpets are gone. So if anybody's walking in the hall or you hear things, (laughs) I have some... I finally got a, a, there was another secretary that was hired and she came and stayed up there also. Well, that, that was nice. That and was and so nice. was it always uh, in the cards that you were going to, you know, go back to, to Oregon after about a year or how did that yes. all play out? I, I had gotten the leaves year of absence. I thought, I didn't realize that teachers don't, first year teachers do not get leaves of absence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I had to go through the whole hiring process again. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they wanted you back, though, right? Yeah, they did. And I, I got a really good position when I came back. But um, no, I, I think I didn't. I don't think I had thought that far ahead. Yeah. And who knows what could have come up, at, you know, who you might meet or what job might come up. Um, I was pretty sure. I mean, part of the arc of the novel or the the memoir is how a school year kind of works for students and teachers of all the excitement that builds up in August and September and October. And then once, you know, daylight savings ends and the doldrums come, and then there's that extraordinarily long time between Christmas vacation and spring vacation. Mm -hmm. And you start sort of, wondering if you're going to survive. And then all you can think about is the summer escape. Yeah. Well, the job was kind of like that also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just it's so fascinating. So have you kept in touch with anyone from that time? Did you I, over the year, over those first years? In the first years, yeah. uh, a bit. Again, my kids were mostly between the ages of 13 and five. Yeah. But they're not exactly going to keep touch with you. And I was asked to go back and meet with them because we went to Sun Valley while I was there, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a tradition. And the next year, I that was when my father was ill. I wasn't going to go anyplace. And then I didn't hear anything for a long time. And then when David died at age 28, Courtney got in touch with me to to write about him. And many pictures. So and that was the last really I heard from them. 
what, what, I mean, what has that been like watching that family overall over the year? They've had just continuously these, yeah. these tragic things happen. I mean, is it harder for you than, than, you know, the general public, because you actually, you know, you care about people. Yeah. You, you care about them as human beings. Yeah. Um, just, you know, yeah, I can, it's in, inexplicable. They're risk takers, but so are many people. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the way they, I mean, David was a drug overdose. Michael was skiing, mm -hmm. but you know, playing, playing a game, ran into a tree. Yeah. Um, recently two of the grandkids um died i have what was one of them the the kayaking or yes. yeah yeah kathleen's daughter and oh, so terrible yeah well and then you had you know even jfk jr who i know you said you stayed in his room um that was so tragic too i yeah. mean it's just it's just crazy to see you know yeah. how it just kind of that that so-called curse continues Right. Over the years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was so fascinating that you did. It sounds like you've had a, a fascinating life overall. The fact that you were in the Olympics, and I know you also wrote a memoir about that. Um, so tell me a little bit about that too, because that's, that's, you know, not most people have been to the Olympics at 14 years old. Right. I was, I was definitely young, yeah. not the youngest. Um, you know, I, that book talks about training. Mm -hmm. and and prepping for it and and wanting it mm -hmm. um and then what the actual like, rome olympics were like which was so different than what it has become mm -hmm. because we were still amateurs it was before title nine so if you were a female athlete you had to really perform before you went off to college mm -hmm. or delay delay college were you you were swimming at the time? What swimming. were your events? Butterfly and freestyle. Okay. And again, I think there were there were like five individual events mm -hmm. for girls. Now there's probably twenty. Right. You know, there was only there were two freestyles, one back, one rest, one butterfly. But yeah. it was only the second Olympics that the butterfly was a was an event. Uh-huh. And, and then how, two relays. How did you do? I um I was predicted to win the butterfly and yeah. had a I, I choked. I choked with <laughs> water. Oh you actually you literally choked. I literally choked. Oh and I, I was eliminated okay. from the finals. Oh my gosh. And they also bumped me off the relay. So oh. I lost I lost two things out of that. I got fourth in the hundred freestyle mm -hmm. and uh then a first on the freestyle relay. So I I write about what it was like to be expected to win um, and how you can make a comeback mm -hmm. two days later or four days later. Um, but I cross-cut the story with uh, walking the Camino de Santiago uh, for 40 days in 2012 mm -hmm. and sort of use my journal entries there to reflect how that, how that experience, which is pretty rigorous, uh, was informed by those early days of swimming mm -hmm. and training. Were you the first Beaverton girl person to go to the Olympics? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Dang, yes. I think Steve Polly was in the Olympics, uh, okay. but I'm not sure. Yeah. 
But yeah, I would say, I, I know from the Multnomah Club, there had been a diver mm -hmm. previous to me in 1920-something. Mm -hmm. um, and Mo Murphy had been in the 1956 Olympics. Okay. She was from Portland. Your parents must have just been like, who is this person that we created? She's off to the Olympics. She's living with the Kennedys. <laughs> quite, quite the journey. And credit to my mother for being a great archivist. Yeah, um, yes, keeping. for saving all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so what? what is, uh, do, you, do you have more memoirs in you? What's what's next? Speaking, well, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm contemplating uh, mm -hmm. what I might want to write about. Yeah, and I, I know that you love Annie Bloom's books. Are, are you... Uh, are they having any speaking events yet well, with COVID? What's the, what's I have another, Well, uh, Portland Arts and Lectures has a series called Insight. I, I'm doing a Zoom with them. I'm doing a Zoom teaching class with Lewis and Clark on okay. more. But I'm hoping that after the new year, I mean, I really love doing it in person. I like to talk to people. I am. I've been invited to a couple book clubs, so I do do those. Mm -hmm. And I, I, this is a book that elicits a lot of memories in other people. I mean, yeah. I'm still a teacher. I think we all have a memoir in us, whether it's published or not. Something that that stands for a moment in our lives that was significant and that impacted beyond the experience itself. Yeah. And well, I, th I think in this case, though, I mean, yours was so just embroiled in history, in our nation's yeah. history, you know, that it just so many people must be just fascinated by it, especially if they were growing up during that time. Yeah, because so it, it pretty much just covers 67 was when I started teaching mm -hmm. and it goes to 1970. And I did a um, when I did the Annie Bloom, I did a sort of catalog of things that happened in that three year period mm. and just. It's a pretty incredible list, you know, from the Vietnam War to the assassinations of Martin Luther King and, and Robert Kennedy. But, you know, when you're 22 years old and you're 23, Jack Kennedy's death sticks with you, like where you were at the moment it happened. But all the rest was kind of background to what's most important to you, which is figuring out what the heck you're doing almost every day. Yeah, maybe that's true all our lives that that there's this what seems later to be just like huge is just sort of noise in the background because we're trying to get our kids to school or plan on Yeah. Do you think uh, I, I think a lot of people who were living in that time, um, there's been a lot of comparisons to what we've gone through in the past several years. I mean, is it comparable, do you think? Do you think it was still crazier back then? Is is it at all? I think it is comparable. I think there's yeah. a sense of, I mean, what I'm just sort of coming out of the pandemic mode and I'm recognizing a sense of, of real trauma. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I have been traumatized. My friends have been, I have friends who are older than I am who still are fearful. Well, my father was in a rage partly because he was dying of cancer, but also at these hippies and these yeah. anti-war people and like, get a yeah. job, get, you know, just go live in yeah, whatever that kind of rage was. Yeah. yeah. Was my life is out of my control. And I think 
boy, there's a lot of us who feel like that. Yeah, it's it's been rough. And, you know, the racial division, the economic division, the loss of, I mean, we're just barely beginning to see what's going to happen when people start getting evicted. Yeah. In terms of homelessness, it's just, yeah. oh. Well, maybe you're writing about there. that. <laughs> Well, it was so great to talk to you. And, and if people want to find this uh, memoir, I mean, it looks like it's online. It's Danny Blooms. I mean, it's- Danny Blooms, Broadway Books, Pals. Okay. I really am encouraging people to purchase from local, independent, yeah. wherever they are. Yeah. We need them to survive. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for talking with us. The COIN Podcast Network is your home for on-demand coverage of local news, sports, weather, and entertainment you won't find anywhere else. You can always find us on COIN.com slash podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. 